Hello, so we are looking at 2nd Chronicles chapters 1 to 6 and uh, we are now moving away from David to his son Solomon. A few things before we actually get into the scripture itself in that uh, Solomon was the least likely candidate for the succession of David's throne. However, God has a unique way of uh, dealing with us in that in our pride and in our arrogance and our betrayal to him, he still orchestrates our lives that he does good for us. Had it been our own choices trying to manipulate our future, we would have messed it up. But God in his goodness and his graciousness somehow bypasses our stupidities and ignorances by doing what's good for us. And here he does what's good for the people of Israel by appointing a decent man. And he starts off pretty decent. He doesn't ask for any riches. He doesn't ask for things that the other kings would have asked for. He asks for wisdom because he wants to lead these people. And he, I mean, if you looked at all that the past has shown, and how that um, others wanted riches, possessions, honor. Um, but nobody ever would have asked for this, that of wisdom to govern the people. It's, it's a selfless, I would say, an act of requesting something beyond oneself to be able to fulfill the will of God. So here he is granted that, and the Lord grants him this wisdom, and it says that wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, I will also give you riches, possessions and honor, such as none of the kings had that were before him and that would be after him that shall have a like. And you see that the great favor of God is on him now. And he talks about how his uh, gold and silver uh, was common in Jerusalem as stone. So would a good righteous king uh, or a leader or a ruler or a pastor or a husband or a wife, God blesses and he blesses based upon one's authority into which that authority is. So if you are under a good pastor, then you will see the provisions of God in the teachings. If it's a wife, then you'll see your, uh, that your children will be blessed. If it's a husband, you'll see that your, your wife and your children will be blessed. And the beauty about this is that when the authority is functioned correctly, you see God's grace. And the best part about it is that we do best when we're actually in a good relationship with God. We, we tend to be more like criminals uh, in that when we are in a bad relationship with God, we are constantly looking out for the police. It's not a very peaceful place to be. Then chapter 2 comes in and Solomon now is, uh, is assigning the men different types of people to do different types of jobs. We're looking at about a hundred, somewhat, hundred, somewhat thousands of people are instructed to build this temple. I mean, when you think of a project, a hundred thousand people, what type of feat is that to be able to get that much of manpower to build something such as this? So it must be extraordinary. Verse 5 says that the house of the Lord I'm building will be great for our God is greater than all gods. And so here is also a, I would say, what could be greater 
than God. And God was able to, I would say, not be satisfied, but lived in a tent. And now they are building him a house. That does not make the God he, who he is, or nor does it define him. And you see that it says that later on, it says that uh, he would live there forever when he addresses the people. Just go there to chapter 6. It says that, And Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness, but I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. But we already know that in verse 18 it says, And God indeed dwell with men on earth. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less the house that I have built. So there is that sense of no amount of man's hands, no glory, no amount of gold placed in, no amount of labor and craftsmanship could ever define our God. What's interesting is there's a highest heaven and there is a heaven. So even that in itself made by God is not good enough for him to live because he is good, all good. And so you see that that reference is there. And many of us, I, I believe that have taken the Old Testament passages and, and scriptures and have gone out attempting to build great tabernacles and temples, believing that they're creating a house of worship. Uh, you've got to get your theology correct. That's incorrect. To have a belief system that says that your church building is a temple to say that your church building is a house of God it is not it is a building and if you have that notion then your your understanding of the gospel is incorrect because you must understand that he who once lived in tabernacles in with in the wilderness and in buildings is not uh, is not the same one that uh, that requires us to be creating a buildings and of brick and mortar. Uh, he, he, that's not the God who is, uh, that we serve. The God that we serve said that he makes, he makes his tabernacle, his abode in man's hearts. So if you believe that that God is requesting you to build churches and create tabernacles and make it a house of God, it's not the same God of the New Testament. The New Testament God is the same God of the Old Testament who showed a picture of the New Testament to show that he will come one day, cut covenant with the people in their hearts, and he will come and abode in them, as in Revelations mentions. So you've got to get that right. If you get it wrong, then you create a Old Testament order only short of sacrifices, and yet you do see some who actually go into sacrifices. So you got Solomon, he builds the temple and beautifully positioned at Mount Moriah where God provides. And he does indeed. And he, you see how all the, uh, the description of what's being built, made, then the temple furnishings, which you've seen it several times in Deuteronomy, Joshua. Not so much Joshua, but more, I would say, numbers, we've seen it as well. And what would be good is a good, probably a good book that you could get on the... I would say the sacrifices, the offerings, the rituals, not so that you can go into Judaism, so that you get to see uh, a lot 
uh, in-depth uh, look at these sacrifices and how they reflect Christ. Then they, uh, you got the temple furnishings at chapter six. You got the ark is brought now to the temple. What struck me was that in verse ten of chapter five, it says that there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel. But I remember that there were more. I think or believe that there was the staff and also the the uh, manna. So what happened to it, I don't know. And um, they, at verse 14 it says, So the priests could not stand to minister because the cloud uh, for the glory of the Lord filled the house. And that sense of presence now, we have the, the entirety, the, the word is plur, pleroma, the fullness of God dwelling in our hearts. And we are able to stand and we are able to come to God without fear and trembling, without, uh, without any fire except that which is, which is in Christ and placed in Christ and, and, and that which had been the mediator for us to come to God, the Father. And look at here, it says that Solomon said to them that, uh, that God will dwell in thick darkness because they couldn't see him. If they had seen him in his glory, they would die. He's an all-consuming fire, they say. And so now the veil had been separated. We walk into that Holy of Holies, that picture of that tabernacle laying there before where only a priest would come in to place a, uh, a blood... Uh, atonement for the people but now we can come boldly before God so you've got that and it says that but I but will God indeed dwell with men on the earth and God has indeed dwelled and dwelling in men on the earth now behold the heaven is and the highest heaven cannot contain him this is about a containment of quantity so the question is how is it that God Almighty dwells in my heart? Is it that He dwells in me in a miniature form? And this is where we must understand that we are not talking about flesh and blood. We are talking about spirit and where God is. He, uh, anyone must come to Him, must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And if God lives in us, and if He is in us, and uh, is this spirit containable? Or is it a measurable? And you cannot look at it as in matter because spirit is not matter. Remember, he walks through the doors, the glorified body of Christ. And so we've got to uh, sort of understand that when God says that he has come to dwell in the hearts of men, he's actually, where you see this picture of this tabernacle, uh, this, this uh, temple being built and, the, and God comes to reside in it, it's the very picture of how God comes to reside in your heart. So with that, I'm going to, I want to go into giving you just a little bit of some history and uh, uh, overlook to this Second Chronicles. So the extent of the domination into which uh, Solomon was ruling had been from the Euphrates River, uh, the east and the north, to the border of Egypt at the west and south. So this represents about 50,000 square miles. 
Now that's a lot of land. Remember now Solomon also was an expert in fields such as botany, uh, botany and uh, zoology and he used uh, used this uh, to his own glory when he was inspired to write the books of uh, proverbs and where spiritual truths are illustrated by the pictures afforded remember what the ant considers his ways etc right and so we read some of this also in uh, proverbs ecclesiastes songs of solomon and we've got about two psalms which is psalm 72 and psalm 137 well worth having a look at so the temple in which solomon built was the first large single structure undertaken by any israelite ruler okay that's one fact the king realized that something of importance of this building he was about to uh, to erect and also something of his own in uh, significance right which you find in second chronicles chapter 2 verse 4 to 6 and the temple was to be not only a central place for worship but actually a dwelling place for god almighty and that is why solomon called the house great you see that is found in uh, verse 5 of second chronicles and david said of it that the house is to be built for the lord and shall be exceedingly magnificent famous and glorious throughout all the lands and this is first chronicles chapter 22 to verse 5 and some of the prominent features of the temple included its size its layout its furniture the associated buildings now this erection began at 966 BC uh, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign about 480 years after the exodus imagine they are now are a multitude of people they have become a mighty force they've married uh, they've uh, they've married into the the surrounding neighborhoods people who didn't know them now know them uh and this was a spectacular work into which they were sort of now preparing to to do it required a lot of wisdom as to knowing types of wood materials to be built with um the skills and how to Uh, the workmanship required for it the building had to be uh, one which was great as they mentioned the temple was uh, similar to the tabernacle in its sort of overall layout as we've seen previously both the temple and the tabernacle had two prominent areas known as the holy place and the most holy or the holy of holies as some would know it now the text of uh, kings and chronicles these say the temple areas are called by the following names the holy place the the house or the great house uh, the most holy place inner sanctuary the room uh, of the holy of holies and we find this sort of interchangeably used now uh, great as uh, uh, was solomon uh, the task of overseeing the construction of the temple was his greater responsibility and was a spiritual leadership over the people. So God said that his dwelling among the children of Israel depended upon Solomon's faithfulness. And Solomon's great and wise, uh, you know, great in wisdom that he had shown uh later he failed in his faithfulness to God and I brought in idolatry and later introduced 
the whole nation to be unfaithful to God. So you see that and you look at the grace of God, the mercy of God, that he makes a promise to Solomon's father, David, and he keeps him uh, protected, even though they fail, as you've seen through the books of Kings. But um, in all of this, there is an underlining plan that we may not have seen it if we had walked with them in those days. But being a New Testament believer, we see and look back and we say, wow, Christ had been planned from the very foundations of the earth that a man will fall and that Christ will be the Redeemer, the Savior, and you have been prepared from the very foundations of the earth so that you would be called elect and chosen and set aside to be made holy as he is only and you will understand his grace far better than anyone because we have uh, experienced it walked through it and lived through that which he had uh, that he had foreplanned for us all right have a lovely saturday Let's chat with you tomorrow